0: So what we've been, what we started last week and what we're going to do this week and for the next six weeks after that is look at 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Learning from the Apostle Paul, from the Holy Spirit who led him to write this beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. You have seen parts of it cross-stitched and uh, in other places because the middle of the chapter is just a beautiful definition by description of love. And I think one of the problems that you and I have is we think that love is intuitive. There are a couple ways that I see that you and I think this. There are some words that I really don't like, and I'm kind of a word guy, so you're going to think I'm overthinking this, and you're probably right. It's actually one of my spiritual gifts, overthinking things. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Last year for New Year's, I preached a whole sermon on how we use the word normal to judge ourselves and judge others. And um, the word normal has some important uh, points. A friend pointed out that you want your your body temperature to be normal, right? There are some good uses for it. But what we do is we think, you know, a normal driver would not have done that and then given me the gesture as though I did something wrong. And that's our way of kind of saying they should have known better. It should have been intuitive. The other word that I don't like that we use and this is a preview for my very compelling sermon that I haven't written yet for New Year's this year, is the word just. I wish that they would just... I'm not talking about justice. I'm talking about the word just. I wish they would just stop at stop signs in Simsbury. (laughs) So you've experienced this too. Okay. And we use these words in our mind and out loud to judge ourselves and to judge others. And I have a little bit of a problem with that, but it's me overthinking things. The real thing that I want to show about the way that we use those words is we think something that's wrong. We think that love is intuitive and everybody knows how to do it. And so then when we see that it's not, we get very angry or very sad, depending on the circumstance. Well, a normal person would just know to call this often their mother. I wish that they would just send me the text back while I eviscerate their character, because it's been 16 minutes since I texted them. They should just text back. Who doesn't have time to text back? Normal people can answer all their texts in a day, right? These things go through our mind. And what's happening is, we're thinking... Wrongly, this doesn't make you or I a bad person, but, we, but it's incorrect. That love is intuitive. That we know how to love in a full way. That doesn't mean that you and I know nothing about love. The theological term for the good things that we can learn from culture, or from our parents, or from school is common grace. You and I have been all given some measure of common grace, which means we've learned some decent ways to love. But a full definition of love. You and I are not going to get there. On our own. It's not intuitive. The other thing that blocks, it, blocks us, in my opinion, is not just our individual uh, assessment of other people. A normal person would never just. I wish they would just do this. We also do it with culture. We make it too big. We think that the culture is either the savior or the problem. You know, it's so easy to get a divorce these days. Well, you know what? In a traditional society, addiction and abuse were covered up. Now we're in a modern society where addiction and abuse are much more there, but it's very easy to get a divorce. Here's the thing. Every single culture, every single one that has ever existed has problems with it and nobilities. I'm not saying our culture today is great. I'm not saying the culture in 1955 was bad. I'm saying that culture is not the culprit because love is not intuitive. In a traditional society, society, some forms of love are held back. In a modern society, some forms of love are stifled. The Bible's definition of love would transcend both our own judgments of ourselves and others, but also our cultural assessments. The culture is very problematic, and it always has been. If you have your Bible, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13. The whole chapter. Where the Apostle Paul writes to the messiest church that we know of in the New Testament. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love... I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You were like, I was doing so well. Then we got to resentful. Your pastor was very irritable yesterday, by the way. One of the other things that happens when we make the mistake of thinking that love is intuitive to people, we're buying into a smaller definition of love. The current moment that we live in, as far as I can tell, is deeply in love with romantic love, and romantic love is great, but it's not full enough. It's not robust enough. It doesn't last. If you are married, you probably know this. You have fallen in and out of like with your spouse, because love requires more than romance, not less than romance is awesome. But the definition by description of love transcends that, is thicker and more full. Love is not intuitive or rude. Love is not rude. And you're like, of course it's not rude. Someone was rude to me yesterday, and that was not loving. That server... No, never mind. But the way that the Apostle Paul uses the word rude, especially throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, is a little broader than you and I might think. might encourage you, just for fun, actually, to read 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, and chuckle. Because in it, Paul is so unhappy with the sexual immorality going on in the church. And before you think I'm an over-the-top pastor, go read 1 Corinthians 5. This is not like, I'm not talking about the difference between G and PG. I'm talking about some messy stuff going on in the church. And when he talks about purity and impurity, which all of us are called to, single and married, we're all called to purity for God's glory and our own good and the good of neighbor. It's different in marriage and singleness. Both are equally dignified in Scripture, by the way. Paul says that you can be rude with your skin towards another person's skin. Paul defines the word rude as the misuse of anyone made in God's image. And particularly in the middle part of the book, the misuse of another person's skin is rude. That person is not here for you. If you're in a committed relationship with them in uh, in marriage, then work that out, but you can still be rude in marriage. The other kind of rude is the kind that you and I are pretty familiar with. It's where someone is rude to us with their words or their uh, facial expressions or whatever, and we just want to be rude back. We just want to respond because we believe this lie and it's not like we stop and think about it and take our journal out. That person made a gesture to me in traffic. I think that what would make me feel better is if I make a gesture back. But they make a gesture so we make a gesture and then we come home and we're like, this person did this and then I did this. What happened in the moment when the person was rude to us was we thought, you know what would make me feel good? Is if I am rude back to them. And let me just ask, did it make you feel better? No. So... New Englanders are incredibly underwhelmed by me losing my temper. Some of you have been there for it; others of you have not. Um, I'm from Oklahoma. We do things a little differently there. Uh, There are a lot of rude people in Oklahoma, just as many per capita as in New England, but we do it differently. Here's how I do rude in traffic. I've repented of this, but for for a while, I'd get to a stop sign. And I was there after the person, so I wave. And then they would wave back. And in that moment, I feel like they're trying to control me. And I don't like to feel controlled. And so here's what your pastor did. And I don't move. And I don't wave again. I just keep smiling. And I would think, this will make me feel good. That person's trying to control me, and I will not stand for it. I came home, and I told my wife, and she said, um, you should pay attention to who gets there first, and then there should be a right-of-way, but if they wave, just go. Like, she knows what's going on in my head and my heart, and that I was being rude, and I needed to stop doing that. So I did. I did and I built a little repentance sign, and I would repent. it. No, I didn't. <laughs> But I repented in my own soul for thinking the way to respond to rudeness is with rudeness, and I don't do that anymore. And I'm going to try and continue to not doing it, to not do that, because I believe what the Scripture teaches that it is not loving, it is not a way of honoring God, it's not a way of honoring the fact that He made me in His image, it's not a way of honoring this other person that I may or may not ever meet. The more profound reason that this is... Let me back up for a second. At this point in the sermon, I have given you no good news, by the way. Partly because I believe that we think that love is intuitive and I think that we're wrong. The story of Scripture says that uh, men and women, while made noble and in God's image, are born into a world of brokenness and broken themselves by what we call sin. And one of the ways we express that is through rudeness. That's not good news. But if you believe that part of it, it's part of the good news because that means we need Jesus. Which is wonderful news because we have him. And then it's wonderful news because when we notice that we think love is intuitive and more importantly, when we notice that we want to be rude to someone, either because they deserve it or not, like those people at the stop signs, What we do is we attempt to take out the rudeness and we shove into it a knowledge of the good news of Jesus that we are namely a mess and loved. Good news that we need Jesus that desperately. Good news that we have him. And then we learn a new way, and that new way is called repentance. 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Corinthians Chapter 7 says this about repentance. For godly grief, sadness over our sin, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. We have a catechism. Some of you are like, oh gosh, I didn't know I was coming to catechism class. I might have skipped church today. I'll be brief, but listen, we have a confession of faith. And the confession of faith helps us with our questions about God. They summarize them using scripture, but helping us with words to understand these concepts. In the book of Acts, uh, there's a, a term used called repentance unto life. When we notice rudeness in ourselves, what do we do? We learn to repent unto life. And you're like, what is that? Catechism. Question number 87 in our shorter catechism. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace. By which a sinner, being truly aware of his sinfulness, understands the mercy of God in Christ, grieves for and hates his sins and turns from them to God, fully intending and striving for a new obedience. Some of you got none of that because it's a little bit older language. Others of you are just drinking that up. I'm going to read it again. What is repentance? This is both to God and to neighbor. When we realize we have been rude, what do we do? We remember that God loves us, and because of the work of Christ, we're forgiven. And then to the person that we were rude to, we repent, which means not only saying sorry, it also means asking forgiveness, and then being willing to change. I said this last week, a Christian never gets to say, that's just the way that I am. Ever. Which is tiring, but joyful. Repentance unto life is a saving grace by which a sinner, being truly aware of his sinfulness, understands the mercy of God in Christ, grieves for and hates his sins, and turns from them to God, fully intending and striving for a new obedience. Christians are bothered by their sin, and they go to the, offended, to the party that they have offended and they repent. That's good news if you and I actually sin, though it sounds kind of heavy. Love is not intuitive or rude. Instead, it bears with one another. This is the same word in Greek that in a longer version is abide. Jesus says abide in him. And the Apostle Paul says that love learns how to bear with. Love stays. Love teaches us to stay. Maybe not at the distance that the person wants us to stay. Right, The person that's hurt us, we might not be able to be as close to them as they want, but love stays. In marriage and family relationships, there are times not to stay. Abuse, violence, addiction. But love stays. And that's not intuitive. I don't know about you. People have hurt me, and I am going the other way. That's my instinct. I'm going to run. That's a broken world. I think some of that emotion is legitimate to want to run away from a relationship, but love stays. And frankly, that's why you should not join the church. You do not need any people to have to stay with. I'm serious. I have four parents, which actually means ten, because some are married and all that. I have nine brothers and sisters, which means 17, because most of them are married. I have 23 nieces and nephews. About half of them are on the Facebook or Instagram. It's all right, I, really, I know what they're called. I was being funny. I have 13 cousins, three grandparents. I do not need spiritual family with you people. It is so hard to stay with these people. And yet... God, in his loving mercy, gave us not only a family that we were born into, but more importantly, according to Jesus, a spiritual family. So I actually do need you. And you need one another. In all of our messiness and imperfection, we need spiritual family to learn each other's stories, to sing next to one another what we truly believe that God is indeed a good father. Thank you, Peter Ariana for leading this morning. To be led in prayer for one another, with one another. To open the word and notice that God is in this very moment teaching you and I to love better. What great news that grace doesn't just leave us where... It doesn't just accept us where we are. It does that. God absolutely, 100%, without equivocation, accepts you right as you are with all of your limits and sins and sillinesses and ways that you're rude and tendency to run away from people. But grace is so much stronger and more profound than that. It wouldn't be grace if God just accepted us as we are. He accepts us as we are, and He grows us up in love Away from rudeness and towards being able, maybe just by a nose, because of his grace, to stay in relationship. I have a funny sermon application for that one. Will you ask missionaries a question after the church? After church? They're not going to have time to answer a question for all of you, but would you ask? Because they are part of our spiritual family, and Peru makes that difficult. If you've never met them, introduce yourself first. Don't just ask them, you know, for the story. Would you ask Jeff about Hartford City Mission? Because we're trying as a church to not just love one another, but also love in our community. If you all do this, there will be a long line, and that would be pretty glorious. Some of us are going to get low blood sugar. We'll figure that out. Bearing with one another is a, is a, it sounds very churchy, and I don't know how disruptive it is to you, but if you look at just verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 13, we're focusing on one section of verse 7. I'm going to read the whole thing. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That seems kind of nice. I've seen it on pillows and in cross, in, uh, what's that stuff, calligraphy. It sounds so nice. You have a friend who's in a dating relationship, you'd never tell him this. So she just did never text me back when I was sitting there and she'd stood me up for the date. Oh, that's okay, just endure everything. Believe everything. He was really mean to me. Oh, you should just stick it out, it's fine. We would never say that. Right? And yet, those of us that are married. We, learn, we get to learn to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Those of us that are single with our parents and our spiritual family, hopefully our brothers and sisters, even if you have nine of them like me. And the reason I'm pointing that out is um, it is again such a robust picture of love. Love. And you and I will run after a shallow picture of love. I was born in 1977, so when I think of love, I think I mentioned last week, more than a feeling. I think of every breath you take by the police, which is actually not about love, it's about stalking. I think of you're the inspiration by Chicago, and some of you are like, your musical tastes, they're okay now, okay? They're, they're fine, my musical tastes are fine. I like jazz, I like the national, you know. But when I think of love the first thing that pops into my mind is, you're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. And then the only part of the song that I could affirm is true, want to have you hear me? Want to have you hear me say, yeah. (laughs) Not, Not one other line in the song is true, by the way, from the Chicago song. And my point is, Not only is love not intuitive, but what we think of as love is small, and yet you and I are made in God's image. And by His grace, through a trusting relationship with Him, we are capable of a robust love that what? Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love is not a fleeting or a partial or just a romantic thing. Love is not intuitive or rude. Instead, it bears with and it lasts. It lasts. Because of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, we know that God's love is one that covenants with us. And despite our repeated breaking of that, His love for us lasts. It is a chesed love. A steadfast love. That's why this is a hopeful text and not a mean text. Because of His steadfast, non-rude, never-leaving love. God the Father is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast and is not arrogant. The Holy Spirit has not ever been, nor will it ever be rude to you. God does not insist on his own way, is not irritable or resentful. Jesus doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, has indeed borne all things on the cross for us. He believes all things, He hopes and endures with us. That's why it's good news. That's why we can learn from it, both as a church and in individual relationships, because of who he is. Grace takes us exactly as we are, but it does not leave us there. It grows us up to men and women who love We know how to bear with one another who are not rude because of the love of Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are indeed a good Father that because of the work of Jesus Christ we are reconciled to you if we have called you Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is even now perhaps drawing men and women to you. Those that are not in a relationship with you, make it clear to them, Father, that the offer is life and an apprenticeship in love for your glory and our good and the good of neighbor. For the men and women who have been trusting you for years, Father, would you encourage them? that this is how your Holy Spirit is indeed growing them up. Teach us to repent without shame. Teach us to lean on you and into you through our songs and prayers, through study of your scripture, through community here. Amen. Amen.